By the earth that is her body, by the air that is her breath, by the fire that is her bright spirit, by the living waters of her womb. May the peace of the goddess be forever in your heart. The circle is open but unbroken, merry meet and merry part. Well, good evening and welcome, my listeners, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now. Time sure does fly, doesn't it? We are here speaking for those with no voice, speaking truth to power, sharing the news of the cognitive minority as we begin to manifest a new normal for the quality of life for the 99%, that's you and me. Yes, it is here. We talk about sex, power, politics, and religion, all the things. My mother once said, nice girls. Uh, shouldn't bother their pretty little heads with. But, you know, I think we're starting to get it. We know better now. We want a seat at the table because without us, without ideals of the sacred feminine, humanity will continue to spiral down into a pit that patriarchy has created for so many of us. And we welcome our evolved, like-minded brothers who are also the cognitive minority, sharing their wisdom here as well. And we'll shout these new ideas out until we unravel the knot of the patriarchy. We'll shed light on every agenda of theirs they'd rather we not talk about because it's transparency, not secrets, that will lead to our liberation and empowerment. So yes, indeed, we'll not stop until we change the world. And thank you all for joining me each week. Now, if I had that um, that uh, lion roar uh, audio tape, I could just cue the sacred roar. Wouldn't it be a great place for an audio of a lionish roar right there? <laughs> well, we may still get that. Um, that cut opening tonight's show was uh, one of my new artists, uh, Elaine Silver. And uh, it, it is called By the Earth. So thanks, Elaine, for allowing me to share your wonderful music with listeners. So I guess I'll uh, throw this out at you since we're in the middle of the holidays. Um, how is your holiday going so far? Well, um, Roy and I spent a bit of it with friends and a bit of it catching up on that show on Netflix. I wonder if you know about it. So many people were talking about it and Finally, finally, we sat and had a marathon. Uh, It's the House of Cards. Uh, It's all about politics in Washington, and it really leaves you wondering about what we see going on in that town. Truly, truly, I had my doubts before, and now watching that, I guess I have even less confidence. But on a, a more positive note, I still have Avatar to watch this holiday season. It's Uh, become a tradition. It's my feel-good kind of movie, um, almost goddess church for me, you know, as we see the underdogs win. Um, Yes, with the uh, help of goddess and nature, the people on Pandora defeat the military, the capitalists, the multinational corporations, those who would dare come destroy their way of life, steal their natural resources because they feel morally entitled to as if these blue-skinned people matter not. 
Oh, don't get me going. <laughs> I really can't wait for the sequels or prequels, whatever it is that uh, is supposed to be out uh, in not too long. Um, I just hope it's really good. And I sure hope the producer continues to make uh, those political statements with these movies. I don't know if you remember, but uh, the Pope I was so disturbed by people's reaction to this uh, beautiful interconnection with nature. He actually had one of his spokespeople come out and say, nature will never replace religion. And then you had uh, you know, another group, uh, a lot of the Christians, who sort of somehow mix Christianity, capitalism, and the military as if it's all part of, you know, that like it's all in one little box. You know, they were offended because the military and the capitalists didn't win. Uh, so they didn't like the movie either, but um, I sure did. I, I still want to book a ship to Pandora, and I know some of you do too because you emailed me and told me so. Anyway, um, let's uh, get to tonight's show. Let me tell you what uh, I have in store for you. First up is Janice White, and uh, our conversation will be about minority pagans and minority involvement in the pagan community, followed by Angela Dolmetsch uh, discussing matriarchy and gift economy in action. Yes, that's right. I did say matriarchy and gift economy in action, not in theory not in the past, actually being lived. So you don't want to miss any of that tonight. Uh, these are two really fresh topics, I think. Uh, but first, a few quick announcements. Um, I hope uh, maybe you had a chance to listen to last week's show. Uh, on Monday, I interviewed Laura Perry, who has started a contemporary working group based on what we know about the Minoan civilization. It was very exciting. And um, though we had a little audio hiccup, I hope you heard uh, the, my second guest after Laura. Uh, it was Daniel Cohen. He's 80 years old. And he's from the U.K., and he was here in the United States, so uh, I grabbed him uh, before he went back home. Uh, he is, you know, he is a, a feminist uh, and a man of goddess, uh, chatting about men and the goddess, men's roles in the feminist-slash-goddess movement, and an assortment of things, um, ritual, mythology, and his good friend, Ash Fidel Long. So I think that was a great show. And um, we had uh, another separate show last week. Uh, I was on the air on Tuesday with my co-host, uh, my dear husband Roy, uh, for the first time, who helped me bring you a holiday show called Goddesses of the Winter Season and Legends and Lore of Christmas. I think some of the material we presented might have been new stuff, so you might not want to miss it. I actually gave a presentation on that material the day before uh, the start of the winter solstice uh, when I presented my annual talk to the Long Beach Theosophical Society, and it was a big hit. Um, I ended uh, that material by reading from Goddess Calling, a uh, inspirational message called Resolutions and Return of the Light. Uh, with more new material, you might not have heard about the season. And I closed with a meditation geared to jumpstart your dreaming and inspiration. So uh, go back and listen to last week's two shows. I think um, I think you might enjoy them both. And uh, I guest ministered this uh, past, uh, well, yesterday at uh, the Goddess Temple of Orange County and uh, spoke on the topic of faith. Uh, 
you know, sort of got into the difference between the ancient Greeks who saw uh, deity as a cosmic force in the universe rather than a personified um, deity who cares about us, you know, who intercedes in our life. You know, for instance, we talked about how the Greeks, uh, if you were a Greek politician, well, the two uh, deities that you were most interested in were Hermes and Aphrodite. So why Hermes and Aphrodite? Well, Hermes because he's the god of communication, so you definitely need that if you're a politician. But Aphrodite, why would a politician care about her? Well, you know, it's not just about love and beauty and sex with Aphrodite. She's also about attraction, charisma, influence. Yeah, you see, there's that whole other angle. So those are the two forces of the universe that the Greeks would want to tap into if they were politicians. So you see that subtle difference? You know, they they weren't necessarily making offerings to Hermes and Aphrodite to bless them. They wanted to be in alignment with those cosmic forces of the universe. So, you know, while we're sort of in the darkness of this time of year, it's a great time to kind of uh, time to sort of take stock and see what do we believe? You know, what is our relationship to deity? Do we believe there's a goddess in the heavens who looks down over us and hears our prayers and answers our prayers maybe? Or is it just a cosmic force out there, you know, that doesn't care really one way or another and it's just up to us to embody those forces or align ourselves with those forces. Interesting stuff. I mean, they were still talking about this stuff thousands of years ago, and I think these are still great conversations today. Anyway, um, about the Goddess Temple, though, of Orange County, uh, what a great place. Uh, If you have not been there yet, please do come. And uh, thank you for the folks who listened to my show who came up to me for the first time yesterday and and said hi. It was really great uh, actually meeting some uh, local listeners and getting your feedback uh, about the show. Uh, So please do come again. And, um, yeah, at the Goddess Temple, every fourth Sunday is for families. They have a wonderful Venus Hour on Friday nights. A great new thing to do on Friday, meet new friends, uh, share movies, snacks, libations. Uh, The temple is also going to be a museum and cultural center soon. So that's another fascinating aspect. Um, So, and, and, you know, don't forget, this is an actual brick-and-mortar Goddess Temple. Yes, yes, a brick-and-mortar goddess temple on the face of the earth. There are not many of those. That is not any small deal by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, if you're in Southern California, you really have to go see it. I mean, how can you not? And um, perhaps you have heard me talk about the seminar at sea coming up the week of Valentine's Day. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole lot about it tonight because you've heard me talk about it before. Uh, But uh, it is a pretty good deal. And uh, if you want to start the new year off uh, with maybe improving all the different relationships in your life, you might want to consider doing something different like that and uh, see if it enhances your life. And if you think you're going to go, I should hear from you sooner rather than later. So please get in touch with me. 
Uh, same with the Sacred Tour to Turkey that I'm co-leading with Dr. James Reedfield in May. Uh, you've heard me describe it. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details tonight, um, except to say, except to say, I don't know whether you perhaps saw on television uh, the last few weeks. Uh, PBS has been running. Um, Bible conspiracies or conspiracies of the Bible. I forget which, but in that series, they have a wonderful episode called The Bride of God. And they talk about the fact that Mary Magdalene might have been uh, looked upon by her peers as the earthly embodiment of the goddess Artemis. And in this episode, they actually took you to the museum that housed the Artemis Temple. Uh, I'm sorry, that housed the Artemis statues. And I've been there before a couple times, and I have to tell you, it brought me back. Uh, I was just uh, in awe seeing her incredible statue again. Seeing Artemis' statue, larger than life-size, seeing the Aphrodisius statue of Aphrodite, doesn't look like the Botticelli at all, not at all, not at all. Uh, Aphrodite from Aphrodisius is a totally different look. You know, uh, you want to just get on your hands and knees and bow down. (laughs) You really do. They are so incredibly powerful and beautiful. And uh, anyway, we're going to be seeing those on the trip, and I really look forward to uh, having that experience again, being in their presence. It's like I remember when we were in the British Museum and we stood before that artifact in the Babylonian and Mesopotamian section. It was that um, that relief that we see. Sometimes we call it Lilith. Sometimes we call it Anana Ishtar. But uh, you know, goddesses that sort of owlish looking bird, you know, with the talons. I have to tell you the power that came off that piece. Um, I still get goosebumps, really, when I think about it. You know, some of these pieces are still so incredibly powerful. Anyway, I am rambling, and uh, I need to stop. Um, And I want to get to our first guest tonight and thank her for her patience uh, during uh, my intro and uh, opening uh, housekeeping. Uh, We have Janice White. As I said, we're going to be discussing pagan minorities. Uh, Let me introduce Uh, her to you by way of her bio. Um, This is how she describes herself. I always love these first-person accounts rather than the third-person accounts. Uh, She is a Circle Sanctuary minister in training. Uh, She says, I have been a very active magical force in the occult world since October 93. I'm a tarot reader, uh, Usi, uh, and Sacred Flame Master Teacher for 14 years in total, and Isian, uh, which is a devotee of Isis, by the way, if you don't know. Uh, she's a witch, a practitioner of the Haitian Voodoo religion, and she presently is learning more about color therapy. She says, I'm also studying uh, Umbanda for the past four years through the Temple of Garasi. I know I'm murdering these words, uh, in Washington, D.C., Uh, She says, I am presently in active ordination studies with the Fellowship of Isis under the tutelage of the late Reverend Dina Buddha. Oh, I knew Dina. Wonderful woman. Um, 
it, well, she was under her uh, under her tutelage before Dina passed away. That's true. And uh, in 2013, she will be uh, sorely missed. Um, Janice says uh, she was um, she was the previous godchild of Papa Max uh, Beauvoir, a Hugon elder, uh, biologist and scientist from Mariana. Haiti from 96 to 2002. She said she received her first degree from Silver Ravenwolf and Diane McDonald on Yule 94 at Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, and her second degree uh, and third degree teaching from Ecumenicon under Reverend Charles Butler in the middle 90s. She has taught classes at Cedar White Grove in Baltimore at uh, Ecumenicon for several years at the FOI in Chicago and uh, at least seven previous sacred spaces. She has been a busy, busy lady. And um, something unique she brings to the table is um, the fact that um, she is an African-American woman, and what better person to talk to us about uh, pagan minorities. And uh, it's something that's always interested me, so I'm glad she suggested the topic. So, Janice, welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for uh, suggesting this topic. Um, You know, we don't see, um, I think, a lot of uh, pay, a lot of minority pagans. And I wonder, um, do you think there's a reason for that? Well, there's a lot more out there than people know. But there's also reasons why we're mostly quiet as well. Um, well, elaborate. Um, tell us, um, tell us why that is. You know, I, 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 I wondered. I, I mean, look, I come from New Orleans, and you know, where the the well, we call it voodoo, but I know, you know, acad- academicians would rather, I think, call it voodoo. I, I or you, you're happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're welcome to correct me. And um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know that. It, it's kind of like a different flavor of paganism. You know, do you think that's part of it? Um, but yet well, you also have your ISIS connections and... Yes. Um, well, it's... Well, in my opinion, and we can talk about this further, um, Budan is part of the African diaspora religions, and they're normally not associated with paganism um, as most people would think paganism is because um, a lot of factors in paganism support the, um, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, the more European side of magic, uh, which is why I call myself an Isian more than call myself a pagan, um, and even though Isis is Greek, uh, but she does have an African um, counterpart, a set or, or set. And um, but when people think about paganism, they think more of uh, either the Celtics or the Greeks or the Norse, where Africa diaspora is basically all the religions that are around Africa which also includes uh, Central America, Cuba, um, 
Haiti, obviously. Uh, Haitian Vudan is a very big, important uh, religion in many countries as well as in America. Um, there's definitely temples in America that are, are Haitian Vudan sites. Um, Trinidad, Jamaica, um, uh, Tobago, Benin, all those regions where there's very few um, Europeans there. And the re- the religions are more um, a, th- a way of life than, you know, getting your first, second degree and, and being online and saying that you're a witch and all these other things, if you understand what I'm saying. It, it, well, I think I'm hearing you say it's more like being, I don't know, almost like being a green witch or a hereditary witch, um, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, something that maybe someone comes to later in life and uh, it's something that's on the periphery of their life rather than uh, at their central core. Okay. Well, most people that are in a lot of the African diaspora religions wouldn't necessarily call themselves witches because there is a negative um, connotation the world yeah. with the world witch that's not just in, in this country. Um, so I would think they would say more that they were in Santa Maria or they're, they're more in Ubanda or they're more in... Budan, whether if it's Haitian or Manawata or um, Santa Maria, they wouldn't say that they were a witch per se. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and it know, is but... more of a way of life to them because they, they start their children very young in, in the religion and they grow up uh, from children as adults still doing the religion. Right, right. And, I mean, and do you think maybe part of it has a little bit more animism in in it as well? Um, Maybe more than, let's just call it the white paganism? Yes, yes. Um, Well, and, and, you know, well, first of all, let me me just backtrack a little bit. I want to talk about the negative connotation of paganism, you know, the word paganism, too, you know, not just witch, but paganism. But for listeners who might not know that term you use, the diaspora, can you explain what that is? Okay, that's a long conversation, but I make it very short. It's... um, (laughs) Uh, it is, it's because it has so many different religions under it. But um, when most people think about the Af- uh, the African diaspora, they think about um, Kambole, which is out of Brazil, uh, Ubanda, which is also out of Brazil, um, Santeria, which is out of Cuba, Rudan, which you can have Mata Water, which is a mother of waters, which is pretty much the loa that surrounds the waters. Um, Haitian, where you also have a loa, and there's a loa and there's an orisha, but that's, like I said, a, a very long conversation. But there are um, lower gods, and I don't mean lower like um, 
we're above them or anything. They're, but they're gods that are more um, earthly bound or more, um, they result more with uh, us humans than, let's say, Anamar or Bande, uh, which are the, 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 the fathers, sorry, the fathers of the religion. So it's really the religious sect of of Africa, uh, of the Africans, sorry. And what Europeans or white people would know more is when we when we were bought from Africa to the United States as slaves. There's a part of the religion that the slaves still kept going, but they had disguised it. So they wouldn't be lynched by it. So mm-hmm. um, in the case of Santeria, the saints, which, you know, with um, the saints, which many people know as Oshun or Shango or Yemiya or, or Eshu, um, were for Shango, Santa Barbara, uh, for Yemiya, Mary, um, <clears throat> so you put a Christian face. You, you put a Christian face on the um, on the on the deity of uh, of your birth, so to speak, in order to yeah. you know sort of draw you know so that they could sort of hide in plain sight. Yes, yes, that's exactly how it was. Basically, them back back then. Yeah. 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 So so I guess to sort of go back to the question then the so maybe we don't see so many minority pagans is because um maybe minority pagans are doing uh you know they're practicing in ways that say white pagans don't practice. Um Correct. I think what what comes to mind is I mean I know like with the Loas for instance um, you know, the practitioners allow the deities to enter their bodies, you know, and yeah. uh, sort of ride them and that sort of thing. And, you know, while, uh, you know, the paganism I grew up with, you know, sometimes people will channel deities. It's different. It's, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's not the kind of thing that you're talking about that they do with the uh, the loas and the... Um, you know the, the these more African, uh, yeah, the Orisha, the Orisha. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah. But but then I think you know where you and I have something in common, Janice, is the Fellowship of Isis and the Isis yeah. stuff. You know, so yeah. that's totally different than you know the Orishas and the Haitian and you know in that that sort of um, I'm looking for a term to sort of lump that all in. Um, it, you know, because if you're an Isian, even though um, the Egyptians were not white, you know, they were they were you know brown-skinned people, um, right? And and the Egyptian goddesses were not white goddesses. I know I've had some people say, well, why are you an Isian? You should be a Celt. You know, you have light skin and you know blonde yeah. hair and and light eyes. And I say, well, you know, you can't. You know, you can't help what goddess calls you or what goddess you feel well, you called called to. It's just it just is. <laughs> um, but, but I think some people get bent out of shape because 
they think culturally you're appropriating their uh, the deities of their culture. I mean, have you experienced that at all? Well, yes. I know um, a while ago, because I've been in craft for 21 years now, so I know everybody thinks I just walked off the boat, but no, I've been active for 21 years. And I remember when I first um, came out of the closet, so to speak, and I was at a event that I won't mention because I had promised somebody that uh, I wouldn't mention the event anymore. But I was at this particular event, and I was helping uh, a well-known pagan person uh, at the event. And somebody had came over to me and basically told me, "Well, why are you here? You know, you're not you're not Celtic and." And it's it's obvious that you can't you can't be Celtic, and I'm like, well, why can't I be Celtic? Now, personally, I have nothing against being Celtic or doing Celtic magic, but it doesn't talk to me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular person was like, well, why are you here, and why are you helping this this woman out? You know, why aren't you doing Santa Rita or something? That's more more your um, more of your color. And hmm. and and this was you know back in the '90s, so it wasn't that far from now either. And um, so I have heard that. I haven't heard that much lately um, because I have been doing this for 21 years, and a lot of people know me. I know a lot of people. I'm I'm not a visible. Um, I'm probably not as public as you are, but I'm not hiding in the shadows either. Right, um, right. Well, and so, I think when, when we do our ISIS stuff, you know, we're really sort of reconstructing what a modern practitioner would do uh, to yeah. worship ISIS. It doesn't look anything probably much like the ancients would have done it, where your Orisha stuff... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming that it probably has uh, deeper roots going back much further than, say, the Iceian stuff that we are uh, reconstructing today. Oh, yes, it goes much, much further um, because it it could go, like in the case of Zudan, whether it's um, Haitian or from Benin or Matawana, um, it goes back to the Armistead Revolt, but it even goes farther back than that um, because, as I said earlier, uh, a lot of the practices are practices that have been going for generation to generation. And unlike Wicca, you know, there's not that many books that are historically correct Um in talking about uh, Vudan, because it's mostly word and mouth. Right. Well, you know, in in New Orleans, we had a a real, not a tourist, not a tourist place, but we had a real uh, Vudan temple. And um, I feel so bad I can't remember the name of the woman who ran it. She was very kind to me and invited me there and uh, I brought people there and stuff. Um, it, it is interesting how, like in New Orleans, you sort of have this thing for the tourists 
but yet, you know, you got this real live religion going on there as well. Yeah, yeah. I love going to New Orleans. I've been there eight times, and I haven't been there since that very big hurricane, uh, Hurricane Katrina. I'm sorry, I'm tired. Um, Katrina, and I would love to go back. In fact, I'm trying to make sure that I go back because it's been a while since I've been there. Well, you know, I can I can tell you as someone who grew up in New Orleans that, and, you know, and it being the Bible Belt, I really don't think they probably took the voodoo priestesses or religion. I, I don't think they really took it very seriously because, you know, I think if they took it seriously, if they really thought it was real and it wasn't just something for the tourists, I think those people probably would have been getting a lot of pressure from uh, the Bible Belt folks. You know, so in a way, they were lucky, I guess is what I'm saying, yeah. you know, that they were left alone. Yes. And, um, and when you go to Lafayette Square or um, the Voodoo Museum or some of the newer places, which names I can't remember right now, it's it's more of the public uh, voodoo than the very private and very serious voodoo, which is the religion. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a, a big difference between the two. There's a huge difference between the two. Yeah, because I mean, you sort of get—I I mean, you—you you sort of get that flavor that you know, there's a lot of spell work going on. There's a lot of witchy uh, things, you know, trying to manifest things, trying to sort of direct the energy of the universe, kind of a thing. But. Um, you kind of feel like it's got this dark edge to it, but maybe that's just what, um, you know, it's kind of like what they want to project. You know, maybe that's just the tourist angle. Hmm. Well, I don't see the religion to be that dark at all. Well, I don't see it to be dark at all. It Mm -hmm. could be dark, but um, but I think um, unless you're, willing to go that far with it, um, it isn't dark at all. Well, you know, well, again, I, you know, and, and, and I'm probably victim to television, you know, because I, I, I've never been in a voodoo ceremony. I've only, I only know what I see on TV. Um, I mean, do they, do they still, you know, sacrifice animals and that sort of thing? It depends on the group, but uh, sacrificing is part of the religion. Um, And it's done in a very humane way, Um, very similar to uh, what you would have in a um, kosher market or going to a kosher uh, butcher. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not the, you know slice and dice that it's in the movies. It's it's a lot right. more quieter. It's a lot yes. more for me. Not the animals are, are <laughs> to and and everything like that. Uh, you were saying something? Well yeah, and it's not it's not all the blood and gore, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, in Hollywood makes these, I hate to even use the word possession because that sort of comes with its own negative connotation as well. 
So I yeah. say that as lightly as I possibly can. But you know, I and, and for myself, you know, reading up on on some of this when I was writing my Sacred Places book, uh, you know, looking into like Haitian sacred sites and even the you know the Voodoo in New Orleans, you know, because I talked about the. Uh, you know, the sacred places in New Orleans that were associated with, you know, voodoo and, and stuff. You yeah. know, I, I think it would be maybe interesting for listeners to know, and I mean, and I'm sure you can speak better to this than I can, but when a practitioner is possessed by a spirit, it's a good thing. Um, you know, oftentimes they, they can find out about being healed, and um, I, I mean, they, they benefit from that possession. It's a very good thing because, um, like you said, you can be healed. You can have messages from your loved ones that have crossed over if they um, need to tell you something and they don't have another way to do it. Um, you could be easily processed by a loved one. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a spirit, and it doesn't at all have to be an evil spirit. You can you can be ridden, which is a better word in my opinion, um, yeah. by by uh, a relative or a friend that has passed over. Ah. So now, so let's sort of put the shoe on the other foot, okay? We don't see okay. many, we don't put, see, see many um, uh, minority pagans at, you know, let's call it white pagan rituals. Will you see many white folks at the voodoo-type ceremonies, well, there's a lot more lately, and if you just look at Facebook, you know, just put in, you know, Vudan or Haitian Vudan or, or Matawada or anything on Facebook, you'd be surprised how many people come out. And um, there's a lot more white people since, you know, we're saying white people now, and thank you for giving me that permission to say that. Um, but you see a lot more white people now than in the past, um, especially in uh, uh, California and in the uh, regions of New Orleans and New York City, mm-hmm. um, and so, for myself, so maybe the racial the racial barriers are kind of falling away. The racial barriers are falling away because. Um, when you were giving my bio, and thank you for giving my bio, uh, you had said at the beginning that I'm a circle ministry uh, uh, trainee or in training with circle ministry, which is definitely a white organization. But mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I know Selena Fox. I've known her for at least 15, 16 years and um, I'm friends with her. I actually love her to death. And um, and I'm the first black person, um, or the first African-American, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I have sisters that are uh, um, Asian that are in the circle program, and um, I'm sure there's been a um, Hispanic person. I think she passed over a couple of years ago, but there has been a, Hispanic person, and, you know, there's all sorts of uh, people that are in the Circle Sanctuary um, Fellowship. The Fellowship of ISIS has myself and and other people that you may know in a 
Anatria Raven Moon is one of them, and mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, around the Chan- Chanel, and and so the Fellowship of I- Fellowship of Isis has been pretty much integrated like ten years ago, or maybe fifteen years ago. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and, well, and they're in, you know, I mean we, they're international. I mean they're they yeah, have people yeah. from I I mean because I'm thinking about you know they have they have followers in Japan. And yeah, you know, I, I and I'm sure they probably bring in, uh, you know, maybe some sort of either Shinto or Buddhist flavor uh, yeah. to their to their paganism, if we're going to call it paganism, you know, um, or maybe we ought to call it to their goddess worship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think Shinto is also like a way of life too. I don't. Yeah. Know necessarily think that they say that they're pagans if they're if they're true um shintos. Yeah, well you know it goes it you know the problem is the how do you define the term, you know? Uh because to some people pagan means anybody who's not um Abrahamic, you know, Judeo Christian, Muslim, then the everybody else sort of gets lumped into the pagan barrel. Um, yeah. But that's you know, but that it, but that's not true for everybody, you know. So no. we have to be careful, even when we say pagan, um, you know. Are we all talking about the same thing, you know? Um, well, yeah, but the, the definition of pagan um, is like um, dweller or country dweller or a person that walks in the woods or a nature, yeah, we don't nature lover, think, nature spirit, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can, I it can mean that as well. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of definitions to the word pagan. So. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess really what we ought to sort of establish then is no more than white people. Wait, wait, all right, wait, let me wait. How do, let me phrase this. Just because you're a white person doesn't mean you are going to be worshiping Celtic deities, as in the case of myself, who's very Icean, Sekhmet. That I mean, I love all the Middle Eastern goddesses and the Anatolian goddesses. You know, uh, that's yeah. that's sort of where my you know uh, I'm called. You know, um, and and so we should. Can we say the same thing then about African Americans? We should not assume just because they're black that they are going to be of the you know the Haitian voodoo. You know that sort of you know that that sort of interest because they they may be into deities that are not dark skinned necessarily. Right. I, I know I'm doing a poor job of of, of describing this. I, you know, forgive me if I'm if I'm you know I I I'm trying to be sensitive and, and be politically correct here and um, yeah. Um. So so really, I, I guess we can say we no matter. What our um, origins are, we we really with this whole idea of goddess, we are crossing, we're crossing all lines. Nothing's off limit. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have this narrow view that, you know, because uh, I don't know, we have Celtic ancestry that that's the goddess that we're drawn to. It just doesn't work that way. No, it just it doesn't work that way um, because I know. Some African Americans that are Celtic, um, and they've been Celtic for years. Uh, yeah. And you know, you you ask them, you know, 
if you have a if you know them and you have a chance to talk to them, you know why are you Celtic? And you know they'll say, well, um, <clears throat> you know I really like, you know, had a goddess like Bridget. Like for me, Bridget would be Oya. Uh, mm-hmm. They're both February second, which is in bulk. They're they're both dealing with um, the new beginnings and the fire and thunder and all these things. Now with Oya, she's also the mistress of the graveyard where Bridget, that is Bridget, it's more of a, a smith or a metal person. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Filled with motherhood and magic and birth. Um, and they're both celebrated on the same day, February 2nd. So um, I could see why some people that are African-American or black will be drawn to Celtic. Like I said, it doesn't really manifest inside me, but I can't, <coughs> excuse me, I can't sit there and say, well, you know, you're you're black, you should be doing Oya or, you know, the Queen of Sheba or <laughs> of Isis or whatever, because, you know, that's that's very hypocritical when you start. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's really kind of ignorant in a way when you think about yeah. it, you know. I, I think we might sort of have that knee-jerk reaction and, and yeah. maybe kind of go there um, before we think about it, you know, and, yeah. and, and until our common sense and you know uh, kicks in. So, so, but let me ask you, Janice, uh, do you think? Okay. Um, I mean, do you think the magic is different when a minority does magic, or does it just depend on whether you're doing, you know, Fellowship of Isis, Isian stuff, or whether you're doing the you know, the Orisha stuff, because, of course, those two are very different types of magic. Or or is it different? Well, to me, and I hope not to shoot myself in the foot, but to me, the magic is more powerful um, when you go closer to the bloodline, um, because we do, we're all in this together, okay? We're all in this together, but there is, in my opinion, a, a stronger magic when, because um, I, like I said, I, I've known people who are Celtic and and uh, I have done ritual with them, and I have done ritual with people that are from ADF, like, let's say ADF or something, and I feel like the magic is stronger uh, with mm-hmm. uh, minority people, especially if they're doing their own religion, but it's even stronger even when they're doing something like uh, Celtic Celtic magic as well. And I don't know if it's because that we we have different life goals or or different ways of living or, or, I don't know, I feel kind of stuck. I just feel that the magic is different. Yeah. Um, And it, it feels stronger to me. Do you think um, that a, a black pagan Wiccan or witch can very easily teach a white pagan Wiccan or witch, um, or do you yeah. do you think? I, I, um, because I'm, I have a, a few students of my own, and the majority of them are, are white students, and it doesn't um, make any difference. But uh, but yeah, it doesn't make any difference. But we could definitely teach. And, you know, and how are you going to really know uh, if you're a white person and you don't have much 
um, interaction with black people or Hispanic people or Asian people? How are you going to really get to know these people outside of maybe the place that you work with or whatever unless you have some, some further interaction with people? Well, and Janice, maybe maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I, I I'm thinking, um, and you know, and, and and tell me if you if you disagree. I'm thinking that um, you know the energies of the universe are colorblind, you know, right? And maybe right. it really doesn't even matter how you uh, revere them or how you worship them. What's important is that you worship them. You know, and they maybe they're happy to get it however they get it. Um, you know, it's your intention that matters. Yes. Because uh, the universe is colorblind. They don't have this. And death is colorblind. We all die. We're, we're all born to die. So, um, so you know, why have this, these human hang-ups? that we have. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is this is like a few weeks after Michael Brown and Eric oh. Gardner had had died through police intervention and it's bringing up a lot of different feelings in America and a lot of them are negative and um, like a, there, there's been other things that's been going on, <coughs> excuse me, uh, because of these racial things. And I know that there's other minority people who have went out to organizations that are of the pagan persuasion. And, you know, how many people know a black pagan? Um, and you'd be very surprised for a Hispanic pagan or an Asian pagan or whatever. And they're all out there. There's There's pagans of all races out there. So, you know, why feel that there's only one type of pagan? Right, right. Well, you know, I think no matter who we are, we all get in our bubbles. You know, yeah. whether we're living in our Christian bubble or our uh, minority bubble or our pagan bubble, um, I think we all have to really work hard to get out of our own bubble. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, even uh, even in the women's community, I was just having a conversation with someone recently because there was this feminist man who wanted to be our ally, but he didn't like really know the language. You know, he didn't know the jargon, so to speak, you know, and he had all the best intentions, but he didn't speak the speak. And, you know, when he didn't speak the speak because, uh, you know, he hasn't really, um, you know, been around feminist much but he believed what feminists are trying to accomplish and there were some women who were ready to blow him off simply because he didn't use the right words or the words they were accustomed to hearing you know and and so i'm thinking you know even 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 you know women you know feminists have their bubbles you know yeah um and and, and it prevents us See, I don't know whether how closely you, you know, how much you watch my Facebook page, but you see the lack of solidarity makes me crazy, you know, because I I sit down and I think if minorities, if um, immigrants, if women, if gays, um, if exploited workers, if we all got together, man, 
Could we change the world just because of our sheer numbers? You know, I, yeah. I wonder what makes it so hard for us to come together in solidarity because we all we all want and need the same things and we're all being exploited by the same people. I wonder about that too because uh, if we all got together and we become a force of, of nature or a force of science or even a force of magic, we could we could possibly overthrow these uh, lack of terms buttheads that are out there trying to jab at us at every moment and make yeah. us weaker. I mean, we're, we're, <clears throat> there's a lot more of us of every color and race and creed than people give credit. And we, if we could stop fighting among ourselves, we could do a lot of stuff and we could have amazing power. You see, I I think that too, and I, and I, it it really annoys me that we don't get smarter. You know that that most yeah. that the majority of us don't get smarter and see that this divide and conquer mentality is a strategy. You know yeah. to keep us at each other's throats. You know, seeing our differences rather than seeing the things that we really do have in common. Um, because look, yeah. we all hit. I think we all certainly have a lot more in common than the one percent. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. And um, you know, I just, I just hope we wake up. You know. Well, I we'll, hope we we'll, wake up too, actually. We'll, I hope we'll we really speak, wake up. Well, speaking of that waking up, of that building bridges, um, have you given any thought to? Um, you know, how that might even happen in the pagan community, or do you think we're sort of destined to sort of walk in parallel uh, rather than together? Well, um, the last talk that I had that was exactly about this, um, a woman said, I have a list. You know, I'm like, oh, she has a list. But she was making very good points about... um, what was on this basic list of hers about inviting people, like say that you have a temple and <clears throat> like in Chicago, let me, the Fellowship of Isis Chicago, how I actually met um, the late Dina Buddha and I miss her a lot. I miss her tremendously. She was and a great like, lady. Well, um, I sent her a couple letters because at the time that we actually meet, Email wasn't as big as it is now. So I had sent her a couple letters, mailed her letters, and talked to her on the phone. And she's like, well, you know, um, we're having a goddess fest, and which they do every year, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, even last year they had one because I was there. And, um, well, why don't you come and spend the night with me? And, you know, at first I was thinking, okay, um, you don't know who I am. And she goes, oh, well, yeah, but you don't know who I am either. And and which made both of us laugh. Um, then I had went to her house, and, and there's where I met Lady Olivia, you know, the, mm-hmm. the late Lady Olivia Robinson, the great late uh, Lady um, Olivia Robinson. And the three of us seemed to really hit it off, and, and that's where I decided that I was going to be the Fellowship of ISIS Chicago, and I had met her, Dina, 
back in 97, so I know her for a long time as well, uh, before she passed last year. But <clears throat> you don't have to go all the way to Chicago. You can just have, let's say, um, it's winter now, so it's not going to be a whole lot of people going back and forth to do things. But once um, the winter breaks and it starts to lean into spring and summer, there's always different types of get-togethers, especially in the summer, that people can go to. But if people really want to have some kind of interaction, um, <coughs> excuse me, in bulk is coming up, which, you know, February 2nd, um, if you're having something uh, and it's public, try to invite as many people as you can of all races to the event. Uh, which is also actually how I met Selena Fox, who who runs Circle, you know, who's yeah. the founder of Circle, is I had went to um, some kind of poetry slash uh, ritual that was in Philadelphia, uh, and she was there, and we had talked. Because um, in Philadelphia, um, they don't have as much racial hang-ups about witches and stuff as they do in, let's say, the Bible Belt or even here, close to D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody goes to everything, and, and that's cool, yeah. too. So, you know, invite more people, uh, have a yeah, lot have more, more conversation. Di- yeah, have Sorry? more diversity in your group because, I mean, you, yeah. because you, you, I, I realized that I think the gay movement has been so successful because when people started coming out of the closet and more people realized that they really did have gay friends, then yeah. it was like a no-brainer. What's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> and we you can know? have this. We can have this antagonism. Right. It's really not that hard. Right. You know, right. I, right. I don't want I to be the only one 20 years from now. You know, right. I don't. Oh. And, you know, and I, you know, I see more black pagans than you do per se and I'm not boasting of that because I'm black and you know and we tend to do similar things but that doesn't mean that I know all black pagans out there in the United States. But if we can do just something very simple as in, you know, meeting each other halfway, you know. Right. Let me right. come to your gathering or, you know, let me talk and let me talk to your members or whatever, or vice versa. You mm-hmm. know, if you want to come to my gathering, then you know, then ask me to come. You know, don't assume that you're not welcome because you're white and I'm black. Exactly. We really need to get rid of that type of tension. This is yeah, not really and, going anywhere. And And you know what? If for no other reason than we have to create this solidarity so that we – have the power to change things, you know, yeah. uh, to to yeah. upset the status quo, to take, you know, these old white guys out of power and replace it with, you know, women and brown and black and every, uh, you know, a, a diversity, diversity, yeah. because I don't know about you, but I am real tired of old white Christian men running the country. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am so tired of that. So... I'm well, very tired of that. 
Well, Janice, I see my next guest is on the switchboard, um, so we're going to have to start wrapping it up here. Um, Okay. We've covered a good bit, but is, um, you know, let me give you sort of the last word here. Uh, Is there anything we haven't chatted about you want to sort of leave as your kind of closing comment? Anything that we haven't chatted about. Uh, Let's make 2015 the year where we really start to move together as one in uh, solidarity. Um, Racism isn't going to go away. But how you can make it weaker is solidarity. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean the the four legs of the patriarchal stool are racism, sexism, environmental exploitation, and I think cultural appropriation. I I think is the fourth one. And if we can really get rid of those things, then we win. You know, it's yeah. over. It's over yeah. for them. Um well, Janice, um thank you very much uh for for talking about this subject um and I, I think it is really important and um it, it, it do you have a website or anything like that if uh folks wanted to get in touch with you to continue the conversation or learn more about what you do or anything like that I don't have a website and I know there's a lot of people smacking my hand that I don't have a website but I'm working on it but I do have a Facebook page and it is Janice White, and it's not uh, Lady Amberdon, even though I'm going to do the Lady Amberdon page, too, because my regular Facebook page has a lot of relatives, and I have told a lot of them, but there's also a lot of them that don't know. So, um, <laughs> and I'm working on that, too. So so they can but, find uh, you at Janice, G- G-E-N-I-S-E, White, on Facebook. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, well, Janice, let's let's keep talking about this. You know, um, yeah. let's you know, let's keep moving this energy forward. Um, you know, so that uh, you know, this is this is all part of the change. You know, this is all part of the yeah. paradigm shift. And you know, and I have to say, I am I was so proud of all of the people who marched in the street over these black men getting killed because you know what, we should all be marching in the street. Because yes. there's so much shit going on, and you know, I I am just glad somebody's got the cojones to get out there and do it. You know, I'm ashamed of white people that they're just sitting home on their frigging couch. You know, yeah. I am. I'll say it. You know, they make me ashamed. So there it is. And there's <laughs> nothing wrong. You know, why can't we get over this? You know, but then we have this in the '50s and the '60s and the '70s. And we did, but nothing's changed, really. Yeah. Things that, you know, we have Obama as president and all that, but nothing's really changed because if that, well, if that was really the case, then these, you know, five, six, seven unnecessary deaths wouldn't be occurring if things have really changed, if you understand yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, that's like I had this guy tell me once, oh, things are going good for women. Look at Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because there's one rich woman in the United States you know, things yeah. are going great for women. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they tell me about that. They really do. But I know um, there's so much ignorance. But you know what? We're we're working to uh, get rid of that. We're working to open eyes. Well, Janice, thank you so much uh, for being on the you, show tonight. Take care of that bronchitis, 
And yeah. um you know, have a have a happy holiday. Oh yes, have a happy holiday and happy new year to you. Okie doke. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Right. Bye bye. Bye. Well, um, we are going to get to uh, my next guest, uh, Angela uh, Domitesh, in just a real short, uh, brief minute here. I uh, have to pay for my airtime here, so uh, here's Joe Carson uh, with Dancing with Gaia. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and divine were all connected, they were together, that there wasn't a separation. That's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. That's the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, that was Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. And the DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book. And all of that, the DVD, the book, it's only 20 bucks. What a deal. Uh, and it is very, very good. Uh, I've seen it. I can personally vouch for it. I'd highly recommend you have it in your library uh, and give it to your friends, whether they are experienced in all of this or whether they're new to it, because um, I believe they would both benefit. It's not just a beginner's uh, type of uh, film and book. Uh, you can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. So, uh Next up, as uh, I told you at the uh, the top of the hour, uh, we have with us uh, Angela Dolmatish. Uh, she's calling in from Colombia, I believe, and we are actually going to talk about matriarchy and gift economy, not in theory, but in action. Uh, so let me uh, tell you a little bit about Angela that will sort of be our introduction to her. Uh, she uh, is a PhD. Uh, she holds a PhD in government uh, from the uh, London School of Economics. Uh, she did her thesis on women in Colombian politics. Uh, she has a law degree and uh, she has pages worth of awards and achievements and she's held uh, lots of executive positions and um, some of her publications or things like of governments and guerrillas, uh, terrorism and torture in Latin America. Uh, she's had lots of uh, articles in uh, magazines and newspapers. And um, she is actually uh, expert in this uh, down there in Colombia. They are uh, living this in a eco-village, I believe, called Nashira. But I am not going to be the one to tell you about this. We will let Angela do that. Uh, so, Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. <clears throat> well, I am I'm talking to you from Colombia. 
and uh, thank you so much for inviting me to your program. Well, I I am so thrilled to hear about this, Angela, because, you know, there's so many people out there that don't even understand that, I mean, there aren't many, but there are still matriarchal or matrifocal or matrilineal uh, societies out there. And, um, and, you know, and those of us in the women's spirituality movement, well, we know Genevieve Vaughan, who taught us about the gift economy. Uh, but, you know, it's usually something that we talk about in theory. You know, we don't actually uh, know about it working. So why don't you tell listeners about what's going on down there in Colombia, what you're doing, and how it's all working? You know, how do the pieces all fit together? Yeah. Well, this is, this is really, in a way, very interesting because basically it's, it's a modern uh, matriarchal community based on the gift economy, and it was really um, something that we built uh, as from the theory of Jen, of Jen Vaughan on, on, on the gift economy. And, I mean, you know, I mean, it was the idea was that um, women who are heads of families, who uh, many, 33% of Colombian women are having the shoulders, the management of the keeping of the, of the houses or the households. So basically this, this was the idea was to, to do with these this, uh, women who, who obviously, you know, are on their own. That that doesn't mean that that the entire ecovillage is based on on women on their own. But but mostly, uh, I mean, that the, the the idea was to help these women. So we started trying to see where we, we could, could establish some ecovillage where women would have their houses for free, where they wouldn't have a mortgage, and where they wouldn't have to 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 have uh, to pay any any any. Uh, monthly dues. Um, so basically that is what we did and and uh, we started with eighty eight women heads of family um, and um, and the houses they built their houses with their own hands and and uh, to start with they started growing different vegetables and different seeds in the in the land uh, so that so that they would be able to have uh, uh, food uh, from their own premises. And again, you know that that they would uh, that we could create something where there was the possibility of the gift economy rise and the change economy, so that you will not have to be buying things because whatever you you, you grow there, you get it from modern nature, and and, uh, and 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 the idea is that that the women there, you know, as far as, as is possible, um, I mean, within a, a capitalist economy, they are trying to to be as much self-sufficient and as quickly um, dependent on whatever you have to buy from outside. And um, it is matriarchal in the sense that, uh, that uh, not that there are no men, because obviously you know there are men also, but it is the women who take the decisions and the women are the ones who decide what to grow and what to do, and, and there are 11 productive units and they are in charge of those productive units. So, so now I think um, now I'm I'm going to have to ask you to talk just a little bit slower, and and I apologize for that. It's it's my it's my fault. You know, I have to sort of get used to um, you know your 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 speech pattern a little bit. So so my my apologies okay. there for. Um, so so if you would just speak a little bit slower, 
but I think uh, I think you said that you have um, what eight? Did you say eighty-eight women in the village? Yeah, there are eighty-eight women and their families in the village. And now, what is what is the role of men? You know, it sounds like the women are sort of making the decisions. Where I mean, um, are they allowed to have husbands? Are they allowed to have sons? You know, what role does the man play in in the you know, in the society. Obviously, they do have sons, and they and they have um, companions, if you like. You know, most of the relationships are are not marriage. They are not married, but uh, but they do have a man with them, and uh, and the role of men is basically that uh, they help women whenever they need. Are the ones who actually take the decisions are the women. They are the, they are, there is a board in which they are, they are women. They are the different uh, productive units, and they are also led by women. And the finances are also managed by women. So now the assets. Now you know we we learn that in a lot of these matrilineal or matrifocal or matriarchal, I guess, um, societies, the assets um, are passed from mother to daughter. Um, is that going to in your we're in Colombia there? Will it work like that? No, well not yet because we only started. I mean, we based our eco village on the ideas of Jane and Jane's gift economy and on Hades Avendorf's matriarchal uh, ideas. So we are not yet ready to be matrilineal in the sense that um, that uh, I mean that we are within the the nuclear family still. I mean, you know, so it's not it's something that will take some time before we actually become matrilineal. I mean, we are, we are, as much as we can, we are trying to be matrilocal in the sense that the mother or the woman is the one who owns the house and the daughter lives in the house. And, and then if she has a boyfriend or something, then she can continue to live in the house. But, um, but we, that is something that we are trying to, to do within, again, a capitalist society. Now I heard you. I, I, I understood you to say the women actually have built their houses with their own hands. Is that right? That's right. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Um, so do they? Ha- you know. Uh, so do they have rent? Uh, I mean, their the expenses that they have. How do they? pay for where they live, for their food? Is it basically sort of like a barter system where they trade? Um, you know, I mean, do do they, like, come together in the marketplace and, and you know, trade their, you know, trade their crops or trade their, you know, textiles? Or how do, how do they pay for their everyday needs? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, well, the houses, of course, as I say, they were they were free, and in the land was a gift was given, and and uh, um, they have their own and they have their own waterworks, um, and they plant their own food. So quite a lot of the of the food that they eat is grown there, um, but they obviously do have to. Um, they have their own currency, which. Um, 
Okay, so so really their needs are are very limited because their housing is free, they're growing their food, so it's not like they have a lot of expenses. So that makes this a little bit easier to work, would you say? That's right, yeah. I mean, but they do have, for instance, you know, they have a, um, I mean, they have a, a productive units that, uh, that uh, like, for instance, they make ceramics. So some of the ceramics where they sell it, and with that they have a little of money. They also, uh, they also have uh, some, some uh, um, noni, noni, I don't know what you know what noni is, but noni is a fruit that produces uh, some uh, extract, and from that extract they make biscuits, and some of those biscuits they also, they also sell it. So, and also, they, I mean, since it's become um, I mean, very much uh, like a pilot project, they have quite a lot of visitors that come there, and then and visitors you know, tend to, to buy some of the products or, or to eat in the Eco Village or or to just come and look, so basically that is also a source of income. Um, you know, as I'm I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about this organization that we uh that many of us here in the United States make donations to called Heifer, where you make loans to uh women in developing countries and you know they they pay they pay that back but they are able to um, you know, be self-sufficient that way. Um, I'm wondering if um, if we, you know, if, if those of us here in the United States, if you know, uh, you know, the women's movement, you know, if we wanted to try to help that, um, you know, your the the village, uh, you know, the eco village, like buy some of their ceramics or or anything like that. Is there a way? I mean, is there anything in place? To um, to allow them to sell to people outside of Colombia. Yes, we do have our, our web page, and um, in our web page you can see our products. And even though we we don't have an interactive web page where you can buy them directly, but it gives there the address and the email, so that if you like some of our products, you could actually buy them from us. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So, um, Angela, where do you fit into this village? Do you live there? Do you help run it? Um, how how do you fit into this the you know this the eco village? Yeah, no, I don't live there because I mean the the houses that I say they were built by the women. And in the, the land was donated, but also they, they, they receive government subsidies for very, very poor people. So um, I, what I do is that I, um, I help to, to develop the eco-village and, and, uh, um, and to make sure that, uh, that, uh, that we don't go very much away from the original idea that we started to build there. 
So basically, I think I'm a promoter of the Echo Village, um, and that is where, where I fit in there. Okay, okay. And so what are what are the main problems that you uh, run into? Yeah, well, um, it's interesting because originally when women came, we never they started working the land before building the houses, before they actually got the... Um, the subsidies or the land or the house themselves, and um, and we never met whatever you know their their husbands or the men that live with them. So when they moved there, we had problems because there were men who obviously were used to getting drunk and to beating their wives. Uh-huh. So and the and the women were not were not uh, because you know they used to live. Uh, in, in very dismal conditions, so they were never ready to 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 stand up against it. So when when for instance this happened in the Echo Village, the old women got to all the women got together and we managed to sell this man who was who every weekend used to beat his wife and she used to put up with it. Um, the other problem that we had is that that for instance there was an old man who who wanted to molest little girls, so we also have to expel him from the Echo Village. Um, I mean, obviously, there are problems of, uh, of uh, I mean, you know, like, I mean, you couldn't say that everybody lives happy ever after. Obviously, there are some people that don't get on with each other, but we have a, a, a committee which actually, which is like a trouble-solving uh, committee, where people come and then we try with, with some psychologists to see where we could solve the problems that we get. But for instance, there are things that it has been very difficult for us to to overcome. It's like, for instance, if a woman falls in love with some other woman's husband, that's very difficult. Are you there? Yes, I'm here, yes. Okay, we lost you. We lost you for just a moment. You, uh, the last thing we heard was one of the problems is if a woman falls in love with another woman's husband. That's right. Yes. Uh huh. So that's that's something that is very difficult for us to solve. So, um, so now, so how long has the village actually been operating? It's been going on for thirteen years. Wow. 13 years. So in this time, I would imagine the women have gotten stronger. They have gotten more used to um not um uh, you know not accepting domestic violence for instance as something they need to tolerate. I mean, have the women become more empowered um you know in this type of an environment? Very much so, yeah. They have become very much more in power, yeah. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Um, yes. Another thing that we have managed to 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 achieve is that before, um, I mean, you know, the the I mean, they they go to the local school, and and before we started the Eco Village, uh, quite a lot of the of the teenage girls were pregnant. But because now they have empowered themselves, so the, the girls, when they become teenagers, even though they might have boyfriends, they don't, they, they don't, they don't get pregnant anymore. So we have managed to abolish almost completely teenage pregnancy. 
Wow. So um, I hope this isn't too personal a question, um, but how, I mean, how are the girls, I mean, are the girls able to, they're going to school and, you know, how are they taught about sex education? I mean, um, how how are they preventing um, themselves from becoming pregnant? I mean, do they have access to contraception or um, how are they managing it? Oh, yes, very much so. Yes, they give a right. I mean, you know, there is, uh, I mean, in Colombian schools, in Colombian public schools, there is uh, the sex education, like, you know, like all over the world. But, uh, and obviously they, act, they have access to contraceptives, I mean, and they are free. But, uh, but, but somehow culturally, you know, um, it was sort of thought that if a girl got pregnant, then she would get a man. And this man would to give family. But now when the women have their own food and their own means of of, uh, of solving their economic problems, that is not anymore so necessary. So that means that from the family, they don't approve the girls being pregnant so young. So, so I think what I think what you just said was the girls used to think of as marriage as a way to be taken care of, where now they realize they can take care of themselves, so they aren't quite so much in a hurry to get married or have babies. That's right, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say get married, because they don't get married, but, you know, to have babies, I mean, you know, and sometimes you have so much older men, you know, and that's, uh, but nowadays, you know, they are quite happy to, I mean, they are not so much, they, they have realized that that is not the sort of life they want and that they can really and truly go and be something more than just uh, look after babies. Right. So um, do you meet with much resistance outside the village? I mean, in your in the community at large? I mean, do you... Um, you know, do you have trouble with the church or do you have trouble with, you know, men who maybe feel irrelevant and, you know, don't like that the women are on their own and don't need them? Um, You know, do you run into any of those sorts of uh, pressures from the outside? Certainly not so much from the church. I mean, you know, like, uh, I mean, the church doesn't really intervene very much, Um, I mean, but um, um, but the men sometimes complain. For instance, when we had uh, we had a we had the matriarchal circus, which is was the fourth matriarchal conference, and it was held in the Echo Village. In Latin. And one of the questions that the men posed to to Haiti to the to the matriarchal uh, expert was uh, was uh, uh, what about us men? And then she suggested that men should there should be a men's council, like sometimes there are in matriarchal in matriarchal societies. But uh, but the women were very reluctant, and they say we it has been very difficult for us to get where we are. So we are not under happy to to relinquish any of the power that we have to men. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. Angela, is there? It, to your knowledge, is there any plan to toward, sort of take this experiment that you've been so successful with? Or there any is this going to happen anywhere else that you know of? You know, is this going to be um, 
you know, uh, are, are there going to be eco matriarchal eco villages other places in Colombia or outside of Colombia? Yeah, well, we have we have won a prize from the United Nations, and bits of I mean, some of the experiences that we have has been has been uh, with uh, uh, have been done in other places in Colombia and also in other places in South America, but it's not so easy. Uh, for for the society to accept that it should be matriarchal. I mean, they are quite happy to have eco-villages where the houses are free, but it is not so easy for them to accept that, it, that women are the ones who take the decisions. <laughs> so that, that, is, that is something that has been, you know... I mean, they are happy to to to, to make uh, copies of Nachira, you know, the all different ways that you grow your own food, that... that uh, um, that you, I mean, that you, that the houses uh, are built by women and this and the other, but when it comes to the decision making, it's not all that is. Interesting. Well, I guess uh, in a way that's to, uh, it, it's not surprising, is it? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there have been some events uh, that have taken place at the Eco Village uh, you wanted to mention. So I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Um, there, there was some e- events, uh, some uh, that have taken oh, yes, place. Yes, that, that right. Yes, we 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 held uh, last year the matriarchal circles, which was the fourth world world matriarchal conference, and and it was very interesting because you know as I say we had uh, people from all over the world, we had people from Israel, we had people from South Africa, we had uh, people from Germany. Unfortunately, Jen at that time Jen Vaughn couldn't make it, but obviously, you know, we um, some of the conferences were about the gift economy, and 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 they were they got the opportunity to interchange uh, experiences and to talk about it and to ask questions. Wow, um, that's that's wonderful. Um, what an what an incredible thing you're doing there, and um, and Jen, uh, our our own Jen Vaughn must feel uh, very excited about this herself. Uh, I should probably invite her on the show and uh, have her talk about this. Um, this this is really pretty incredible, Angela. Um, is there is there anything else you would like us to know about the Nashira Village? Well, no, I mean, you know, I mean, invite people to come and visit us. It is, an, it is a very interesting uh, experience, very interesting pilot project, and it's also very interesting to see how how children are growing there, you know, being looked after by all the women, how we have a, 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 I mean, we have a, like, a, like an open-door eco-village, I mean, you know, like, um, I mean, one of the things that we have managed to achieve too is that, is that people don't have to have fences, that they very little stealing, and and uh, you know, and that is, and somehow we we feel that we are creating a new human being. I yes, most definitely. Um, well, and your website uh, is it the Angela Cuevas dot com? No, no, no. no, no. The, the website of the Eco Village is www. Nachira hyphen in the middle echo aldea okay 
I, I'm sorry. Could you say it again? Um, so it's www.nashira. Nashira. The Kaisen in the Eden. Yes. Eco Aldea. E C O A L D E A. Okay. Okay. All right. I. Dot com. Dot co. Dot com. Dot co. So that's dot com and and dot co for Colombia. Right, yes. Wonderful. Well, Angela, thank you so much uh, for calling in tonight. Uh, this is really inspirational and hopeful, and um, I'm I'm really thrilled to have been able to uh, talk to you about this and learn about this uh, important project that uh, you know you're promoting and and Jen inspired and um, you know it it's uh, it, it's it's so hopeful. Sure. Yeah, and next year in April, there's going to be a, a gift economy conference in, in Rome, and, and and one of the one of the topics is going to be obviously uh, how do you try to put into practice the gift economy. Well, you know, uh, what what an important thing to do. Um, I, you know, I I think that's incredible because I think it's hard for us to sort of wrap our mind around how this could actually work. Uh, but you're you're doing it, and, um, you know, with, with a little bit more hard work, uh, you know, it might just uh, might just catch on and spread to a lot more places. Great, yeah. I mean, one of the things that we are trying to prove is that obviously it's not impossible, it's not just theory, and it is somehow, um, I mean, and somehow I think the theory could, if if it put into practice could make societies which are more much more less violent than they are at the moment and for war is not necessarily the solution to everything. Uh wise words. Wise words. Um well Angela, thank you thank you so very much for your time tonight and the best of luck to you. I um you know, I, I wish you strength and energy and creativity and uh, everything you need to uh, continue to make uh, the Eco Village thrive. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to to talk in the program. Oh, uh, it's it's my pleasure. Thank you, and uh, you you have Thank a wonderful you. holiday. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Wow. Um, I remember when I spoke to Jen Vaughn a while back about the gift economy, and um, you know we were we were talking about well how could this possibly work? And she had such wonderful ideas, and she must feel so incredible to actually see it in action. Uh, so we'll have to get her on the show and uh, talk to her about that uh, when uh, when she has some time. So uh, it's about that time uh, we are. Uh, crossing the threshold into the latter part of the show. Yep, that's uh that's that sound. Those are the chimes. And I just wanted to remind you, uh, as I've written in Goddess Calling, that the four legs of the stool of patriarchy are classism, environmental exploitation, racism, and sexism. Now, some of these things, um, I kind of feel like it's a little hard for us to combat on our own. Uh, 
Um, you know, we are sort of in the class we're in, and it's not always that easy to change that. And um, on our own, we certainly can't stop multinational corporations from uh, exploiting the environment, uh, you know, unless we are in solidarity with uh, other groups and, uh, you know, that have influence. But we can, I think, help stop racism. I think we can stop sexism. And um, I think uh, if we can kick at least two legs of that stool out from under patriarchy uh, by whatever means we can, you know, uh, as, you know, Janice and I were talking at the top of the show about, um, you know, the importance of diversity and solidarity. You know, imagine... Imagine that we can unravel that knot of patriarchy with some solidarity. So think about that. I know I sure am. And um, let's see. We've been talking a lot uh, in the season about the uh, the coming of the light, and um, you know that it, this should be a time to enjoy the darkness because it's during this darkness that we can kind of marinate and gestate and, you know, just be quiet, you know, be uh, contemplative, um, meditative, you know, and just sort of slow down. You know, we don't have to conform to the hustle and bustle that's going on out there for the holidays. We we just don't. And, um, you know, and if you're feeling that pull, uh, to be, you know, be a little bit quiet, to be, to go within. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, you're actually in see, in sync with uh, the energies of the the cosmos. You know, the energies of nature, because that's what's going on out there. You know, and you're part of it. We're all interconnected, and you know, maybe that's why this time of year is so hard. Uh, not just because it's so chaotic and you have so many more pressures, but we're actually working against uh, the cosmic forces instead of being in alignment with them, you know? So think about that. And uh, there's this wonderful poem that uh, one of my listeners sent me by Carol Etzler Eagleheart. It's called Keep Walking in the Light. And I just thought I'd share it with you because I think it's beautiful. It goes like this. Keep walking in the light. Keep following the path. Draw closer. Draw closer. Keep dreaming in the dark. Remember who you are. Draw closer to life. Keep walking in the path. Keep following the dream. Draw closer. Draw closer. Keep dreaming in the dark. Remember who you are. Who you are. Draw closer to life. 
You know, one of the things I'm going to be doing um, New Year's Eve is getting together with uh, a circle of friends that uh, we meet once a month. It's uh, We call it our Wisdom Circle group, and we talk about all sorts of things. And it's really a wonderful circle, and we, we really nourish one another, I think, with, you know, our shared ideas, and, you know, and we try to inspire each other and... Um, you know, bring new ideas to the table, and uh, I love it because it always challenges my thinking. And um, anyway, one of the things we're going to be doing for New Year's is um, we're going to be opening a box, and inside this box uh, are um, intentions that we wrote this time last year for what we wanted to accomplish in 2014. So we're going to open the box and read the intentions and see how close we came to achieving what we thought were our intentions for 2014, what we thought we wanted to manage to manifest in our life. And likewise, we will write another set of intentions for 2015 and at the end of 2015, we will pull them out, take stock, see what we accomplished, see what no longer matters, see what new things um, we might want to bring in. So I'm looking forward to that. I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, uh, the lady who is hosting the event uh, she added sort of a different twist to it. She said, whatever it is you want to manifest next year, come dressed as that. If you want more wealth and prosperity, well, come dressed with your, you know, finest pearls, you know, even if they're not authentic, you know. Um, you know, if you want to write a book next year, come with a mock-up of the book. Um, if you want to get in better shape, uh, come wearing something that sort of suggests that, you know, you're going to be working on your body next year. You know, maybe it's, you know, a running suit or something. I'm not sure. But I think you kind of get the drift. So that's what we're going to be doing um, for New Year's Eve. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's one of our uh, newly forming traditions, I guess. Uh, I guess you could say. So, um, as I said in Goddess Calling, I'd like to share this quote. The Dalai Lama said it would be Western women who would come to the rescue of the world. Well, might it actually be Goddess Theology? Maybe. I think so. Well, um, I'd just like to say if uh, you are enjoying the show and you'd like to support my work, um, I hope you can perhaps go to my uh, KarenTate.com webpage. And um, if you go to the Goddess Store button and scroll all the way down, uh, you will find a PayPal button which allows you to make a donation of any amount. Or while you're on the Goddess Store page, uh, please order one of my books. Uh, I would really appreciate it. It uh, helps me keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. And um, I will be back with you uh, next Wednesday. Uh, my guest will be uh, Sally, uh, Sally Swagner, 
and I think we're going to be talking uh, about some of the early uh, some of the early feminists, uh, some of the suffragettes, and I think that should be that should be a lot of fun. You know, I don't think that's those are women that uh, get enough attention. Um, you know, we're we're so busy trying to create a new normal. Sometimes we forget uh, to take a look at the lives of these women who sacrificed so much, who had so much vision, who were our foremothers, our way showers. You know, they were the ones who were really out there with the pink-handled machete. You know, you think we have it hard now? Um, you know, we uh, we've made a lot of progress. Imagine how hard it must have been for them when they lived in a world that everyone thought... You know, all women were good for was making babies and being subservient to men, and not even you know what it wasn't even their you know they weren't even supposed to work outside the home for heaven's sake. You know they were little more than property, and when you think about it, it was not that long ago. So we have we have made a lot of progress. Um, we never think it's fast enough, but we have to acknowledge the progress that we have made. So, in closing tonight's show, uh, I think uh, while we're in the season, I will go ahead and uh, play some of the music uh, that I played last week uh, for the Christmas show. Uh, This is Jan Aldridge Clanton's uh, song, uh, To, To Sound Forth the News. And uh, if you're interested in um, obtaining some goddess-oriented music uh, using very familiar melodies, uh, but just new goddess-oriented or female-oriented lyrics, you'll want to look up Jan Aldridge Clanton and uh, get her book. A wonderful woman. She's been interviewed here on the show, and uh, she's also one of the contributors to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Conversations to Reshape the World, our new anthology that just came out. So thank you, my dear listeners. I hope you are enjoying the holidays. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Uh, If you are uh, doing something different for the holidays rather than just sort of succumbing to the uh, you know, the capitalist, uber-consumer uh, kind of activity out there. Uh, if there's something special you do with your loved ones or even just, you know, by yourself, um, you know, let me hear about it. Let me uh, uh, let me share it with others to give them inspiration, to give them permission uh, to do the same. I think one of the things I also want to do before the uh, weekend holiday is up is to go see that uh, that new movie. I think it's called The Wild, um, about the young woman who treks across uh, the United States, you know, trying to find herself after her mother's death. Um, it's getting really good reviews, and uh, I think Reese Witherspoon. I, th- I hope I hope that's her name. Uh, I think I got it right. I, I really do like her. I think she's, uh, you know, she's beautiful and smart and talented, and I'm glad she's having success. And uh, this is her production company's movie that she also starred in. So anyway, I think uh, that will be on my agenda as well. So um, 
this time I really am saying good night for the week. I'll be back with you next Wednesday. And uh, please enjoy Jan Aldridge Clanton's To Sound Forth the News. shall fill the earth, and peace shall fill the earth, and peace and peace shall fill the earth. No more let fear and cast down hide the path of wisdom fair. She leads the way to life and joy. Gift for all to share, with gift for all to share, with gifts, with gifts for all to share. Joyful are we who heed the call of wisdom in our soul. With her we break a fresh and Join hands and dance with me. Join hands.